through this Lenten season, we have been reflecting on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And this morning we come to the petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And as a way of considering this part of the prayer that Jesus teaches us, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 18. And we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35. So in the Pew Bible, it's on page 688. But if you have your own Bible, which is fantastic, open up to Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And I invite you to read or just listen along as we hear from the word of the Lord. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his own fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had take pl taken place. Then the, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's get started with the elephant in the room. Which is it? Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses? And the answer is it all depends on what church you're attending. In the Lutheran church, as many of you know, we say trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses, referring to the crossing of a line, the violating of a boundary, a rule, if you will, in our relationship with God and with each other. Other churches follow Matthew's recollection of this prayer, and if you haven't looked at it in a while, he uses the word debts. And if we remember Matthew's background as a tax collector, I think it makes sense that Matthew would remember Jesus saying this. And the word debts resonates still in our time. I mean, all of us at some point or another know what it feels like to be in the red, to owe something to someone. What I find very interesting is very few churches that I've, I've seen follow Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And what's interesting, if you haven't looked at Luke in a while, is the Greek word that Luke uses translates the word not as debts or as trespasses, but as sins. Here's the thing. Whether we call it trespasses or debts, no matter what you call it, the problem, I think Luke gets it right, is sin. The problem is sin. And the focus of this petition that Jesus gives us points us to the solution, which is forgiveness. Jesus, in teaching us to pray, is teaching us forgiveness is a need we all have. 
Now, last week when Drew took us through the petition, give us this day our daily bread, I think we all could resonate at some level on this idea that we have basic needs that only God can provide. But when Jesus now extends this to forgiveness, I want to challenge us as to whether we really deep down believe forgiveness is a need we have in our lives, a need. And I, I, I say this because more and more, the message we appear to be telling ourselves in our culture, telling ourselves outside the confines of gatherings like this, is don't apologize for who you are. We, we tell ourselves, make no apologies for being true to yourself. And I've always been fascinated by both of those statements, you know? Don't apologize for who you are. Make no apologies for being true to yourself. Every time I hear that, what, the question that always comes up in my mind is, well, what if being true to yourself means you're being false, deceitful, abusive, hurtful to another person? Is that okay? But our posture is so far removed from seeking forgiveness, we, our default is generally to blame the other person, right? That's what we do. We blame the other person. Well, if, if what, I'm just being true to myself and that hurts you, that's your problem. We, we blame the other person, right? Or, or we make excuses. We, we stress our intentions over above our actions. Well, that's not what I intended to do. I didn't mean for that to happen. Rather than pursue forgiveness in our lives, we, we tend to justify ourselves. We argue for how we're the exception, how this is, we insist upon special circumstances. Oh, it's not like that. No, no, this is different. Do I really need to be forgiven? Well, sure, we might say. I mean, yeah, I'm not perfect, but then who is? You know, I, I, yeah, okay, I can, I can admit it. I make mistakes. I mess up. But what I need, I just need people to give me a, a break once in a while. I just need people to give me a break once in a while, you know, to cut me some slack. Is that the problem of sin? Just circumstantial? Just give me a little more room and I won't step on your toes? No. The problem of sin is me. It's not my circumstances that are sinful and messed up. My circumstances don't need to change. I need to be changed. I'm the one who is broken. I am a sinner, and I need help. When I, when I make up and play by my own rules, when I make up and play by my own rules, and you do the same, how can we not trespass each other? <clears throat> how, do, how do we not trespass each other, let alone hurt or kill each other along the way? No, there's a higher law. There's a higher law. There are standards. There are boundaries. There are expectations that transcend the rules I make up or you do. And this is God's law. Our Father's order and structure for creation. His intent and his purpose for our lives. And beloved, we're breaking these rules. We're breaking this law all the time. Both willfully and unconsciously. And together, Together, we're in it together. We're leaving an awful mess. And it's not just a static cleanup job either. It's a geometric expansion. For every line I cross, for every wrong I do, there's a ripple effect that impacts and tears the fabric of our life together in ways I can't even fully comprehend. In other words, my problem with sin is your problem with sin. My debts cost you as much, if not more, than they cost me. Your trespasses violate not just your relationships, 
but they have repercussions for mine. And so together, we are defacing, we are defiling, we are detracting from the glory of our creator and the beauty of his creation as it was intended to be. Do we need forgiveness? Yes. Yes, we do. And we need it bad. Because there's no future. There's no hope. There's no life for any of us without forgiveness. We continue to exist. We're still breathing right now. This is what Jesus, in teaching us this petition, wants us to understand. We continue to exist. We're still breathing right now thanks to the mercy of God. It is for pity's sake that you and I are still here. Whoa. Mm, don't like that word. Pity. Pity is not a word we like to associate ourselves with, is it? But here's the thing. Pity is the basis of our endurance and our salvation as human beings. This petition begins with our first asking God to do something for us. And God, our Father, out of his great love, feels sorry for us, takes pity on us, and he forgives us. But for me, that begs the question, what exactly is forgiveness? What exactly is forgiveness? In the most basic sense, forgiveness means to release or set free. Very basically, forgiveness means to release or set free. A little bit more weighty of a definition, forgiveness is a conscious decision on the part of the offended to release the offender from the penalty and guilt of the offense committed. Let me say that one more time. Forgiveness is a conscious decision on the part of the one who has been wronged to release the one who wronged me from the penalty and guilt of the wrong that's been done. Now we hear this and I want to be, make, us, make it clear. Forgiveness is not leniency or overlooking sin. Forgiveness does not negate experiencing the consequences of our actions. If you will, if you're a visual learner, forgiveness pulls the nails out of the board but does not remove the holes. Sin always has a price that has to be paid. If I go to your house and I break a lamp, forgiveness or no forgiveness, the lamp is still broken. Someone has to pick up the pieces. Someone has to clean up the mess. Someone has to replace that lamp. And we can't earn our forgiveness. We need to let that sink in as well as Jesus teaches us to pray. We can't earn our forgiveness. If I commit a crime and I serve out my prison sentence, I am not forgiven per se. All I have done is face the consequences of my actions because there's no way I can ever repay the debt or cover the cost of what I have done. Do you remember about a year or so back when we studied the book of Leviticus? Remember, this was the incompleteness of the sacrificial system. The blood of animal sacrifices covered the sins of the people, but it could not take away or make up for the sins of the people. Only God could do that. So then to just continue to help us to appreciate the nuance of forgiveness, forgiveness then is the decision on the part of the offended to bear the burden of the damage done. Forgiveness is the decision on the part of the offended to bear the burden of the damage done. Even if you forgive me for breaking your lamp and I clean up the mess and get a replacement, you still carry the loss of not having your original lamp. 
Forgiveness, therefore, is not free. It's not cheap. What Jesus endures going to and dying on the cross underscores the serious consequence and the high price of the world's sin, your sin and mine. But what I really want you to understand today is Jesus teaches us to pray this petition. What I really want you to get is God's forgiveness carries an even deeper significance than this. We, we typically understand and talk about God's forgiveness, and rightly so, as assuming responsibility for the damage done, canceling the debt. But God's forgiveness carries an even, even deeper significance. For in forgiving us, God is also not holding our sin, what we've done against us. God isn't just canceling the debt. He's not just assuming responsibility for the damage done. But God, in forgiving us, is not holding our sin, what we've done, against us. Our Father is foregoing his right to punish, of taking his justified vengeance upon us. And I don't think we sit here much because, again, when we were kids, we understood our parents had rules, but, and oftentimes our parents would forgive us. But then when our parents actually punished us, if you were like me, you were like, you're going to seriously punish me for this? As if we're like shocked. Back to pity. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. Judgment that leads to death. Finally, end of story. God in forgiving us is foregoing his right to punish. His justified vengeance against us. To bring this down to our level, and to me this is perhaps the most powerful definition of forgiveness that I've heard. To bring down what God does to our level. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is my giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. God gives up his right to hurt us as we hurt him. Why? Why? Why does God forgive us? Why? I like to think of it this way, and there's lots of answers, but I like to think of it this way. God's forgiveness of us serves to function like a GPS navigation system in our cars. We all have had some experience with a GPS system. If it's not in your car, maybe one you rented or you've been in someone's car who has one of these things. A GPS navigation system tells you where to go, right? If you drive past the exit or you get off course, the course that's been laid out for you, the GPS doesn't get angry. The GPS doesn't go, how could you be so stupid? <laughs> the voice of the GPS says simply and matter-of-factly, recalculating. <laughs> and once the GPS recalculates, it tells us how to get back on track, right? Even if you ignore it, the GPS doesn't tell you to get lost. Oh, just get lost. <laughs> There's no hope for you. No, the GPS will continue to direct us, right? Recalculating and advising as needed to get us to our destination. And my friends, that is a lot like God's forgiveness of us. Our Father creates this world, as we said, with a certain order. He gives us our lives with a particular design. Our Father desires for us to go a certain way in life, to live a certain way, to do certain things. But we have our own plans in mind, right? We don't listen to the instructions. Either we fail, we unintentionally fail to father, fo follow our Father's direction, or we stubbornly ignore the Lord's guidance because we have our own ideas, our own preferred destinations in mind. 
And as we miss exits or get off the path, our Father refuses to let sin have the last word in our relationship. In his patient love, the Lord consistently remains always with us. Through his word and by his spirit, he doesn't say, what's your problem? He says, recalculating, recalculating. There's no shaming or guilt, just persistent nudging and prompting. We can get miles off course. I mean, heck, we can end up on the other side of the world. But our Father's commitment to us to keep us on track never wavers. Our Father's purpose in forgiving us remains unchanged. Why does God our Father forgive us? To bring us back to him. To bring us back to him. To get us back home. I say this, and some of you are nodding your heads, and amen. And yet one thing that's fascinating to me, both in the world and more significantly in the church, is that we all can nod our heads and, yeah, say yes to this. And yet so many out there and in here struggle to believe that God really forgives us. Carl Medinger of the Medinger Clinic once said, if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins are forgiven... 75% of them would walk out the next day. 75%. We don't believe it. We don't believe it that God can actually forgive us. And yet time and time again in the Bible, the Lord pleads for his people to repent and return to him. And for me, perhaps the greatest assurance of God's forgiveness is best represented by a picture that Jesus gives us in a story we know all too well. This story of a father who runs with abandoned arms open wide toward his guilty, downtrodden, and prodigal son. The father who gently seeks, without question, without reservation, to remove his child's rags, to heal his sores, to clothe his nakedness, and without excuse or apology to bring him home. If this is the character and desire of our God, why are so many of us still living apart from such forgiveness? Why are we still wallowing in the dirt and eating with pigs rather than feasting with our Father? The answer, I think, the answer, I think, I think it comes down to when we, when we think about our Father's forgiveness, we don't appreciate the difference between being accepted by God and being acceptable to God. We don't appreciate the difference between being accepted by God and being acceptable to God. Our disobedience, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, does not mean we are not accepted by God. We ourselves may feel unworthy. Others may tell us we are unworthy, but that does not mean we are unwelcomed. We are all children of God our Father. With Jesus as our brother, there is no loss of membership in the family. All are still invited, always welcome in the house of God. However, our sin and our disobedience does not mean we are acceptable to our Father. All are accepted, but that doesn't mean we are all acceptable. The dirty, the tattered, the torn condition of our hearts, our minds, our souls cannot be overlooked. The damaged relationships within our lives cannot be ignored. If you will, again, for you visual learners, it's like coming back from playing in the dirt all day. You come back to your house, your mom and your dad don't say, hey, get out of here, go away. No, you're welcome home. 
but you can't track mud all over the house and everyone else. What Jesus is getting at when he teaches us to pray this petition is we need to face the truth when we pray, when we ask for God's forgiveness, we need in praying that prayer to face the truth of how filthy and messed up we are. We have to come clean before we can receive the cleansing we need. Isn't that what we see again in the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son finally just shuts down. He comes clean. And isn't that what we see with the elder brother who just refuses, refuses to acknowledge his dirt, won't come clean. So many people, as I say, so many people pastorally I encounter who say, I believe that God forgives me. Have you said this? Have you heard this before? Maybe you say it. I believe that God forgives me, but here's the thing, I'm just not able to forgive myself. I want to say a word to you, and I want to say it gently, but I also want to say it strongly. And I want you to really hear it because it's going to probably shock you a little bit, but think about what I'm saying. Beloved, when we say that, when we say we can't forgive ourselves, we tell ourselves, oh, it's, we're beating ourselves up, we're just, we feel so bad, we're just, we're just ah. but here's the thing, being unable to forgive ourselves is a matter of pride. It's a hard word, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Being unable to forgive ourselves is a matter of pride. It's a matter of pride because it reflects my refusal to live on the basis of pity. I'm hard on myself out of pride. I'll beat myself up. I'll just put myself into the ground because there's pride in that. I'll be hard on myself because I don't want to be pitied. But here's the thing. We can't hear our Father's offer of forgiveness if we're still rehearsing our speech to come home. If we're still trying to earn our way back into his good graces. So instead of remaining so focused on ourselves, what I should have done, what I still might do, what I believe is right, we need to fall completely, utterly dependent upon our Father's arms. Again, that's the picture we have as the prodigal son is about to speak, just finally just falls into his father's arms. And yet the contrast is the elder son, the elder son who just continually pride pushes back and will not receive, will not forgive. My friends, to live in the kingdom of God is to live for pity's sake. To live in the kingdom of God is to live for pity's sake because to live in the kingdom of God is to live by the mercy of God. Whew. That's just the first half of this petition. We could just say, I wish I could just say amen. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm a wreck. I mean, this first petition, just forgive us our sins, stretches us, right? But we need to keep listening because Jesus also adds, Not just forgive us our sins, but forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And just in case we're so used to, we're saying this prayer, we memorize it as kids, just in case we're missing the impact of what Jesus has just done here, let's pay attention to the words Jesus adds, seemingly like a PS, a postscript, right after teaching us this prayer when Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now Jesus has done it. 
Now Jesus has done it. I mean, first, he teaches us to pray for ourselves, to seek and accept our Father's forgiveness, which I think we all can agree isn't easy. And now he has, making a, has us making a commitment to do something towards others. And not just anything. He has us making a commitment to actually forgiving them. Forgiving the family member who disappointed us. Forgiving the friend who deceived us. Forgiving the spouse who betrayed us. Forgiving the coworker who took advantage of us. Forgiving the confidant who lied to us. Forgiving the loved one who abused us. Forgive them? Hell no. Hell no. And suddenly this prayer, saying this prayer, let alone meaning it, Living this way becomes really hard. I don't know how you respond, but I look for a loophole. I quickly protest. I look for a loophole. Whoa, 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 whoa. Weren't we raised to believe? Doesn't the Bible teach that God's forgiveness is not dependent upon our actions? Didn't you just say, Pastor Chris, that God our Father reaches out to us in grace and mercy to heal and forgive us in spite of ourselves? then what the heck is this? Is this petition to be understood as some sort of hidden clause in some sort of salvation contract? A deal we make with God in order to fully receive all the blessings we seek? No. The answer is no. Jesus is not, and I know the story, but I also look at the whole of what Jesus teaches and read the story from the beginning Jesus is not telling us if we fail to forgive, we will be denied forgiveness as a punishment. Because forgiveness is much more than a moral obligation. To make forgiveness into that is to make forgiveness into a law rather than gospel. Forgiveness is much more than a moral obligation, a law that we either must fulfill or suffer the consequences. To think of forgiveness in this way is to limit the nature and power, the freedom of forgiveness. And in case you doubt me, look where we started in our passage this morning. In our start of the passage, Peter, this is the box Peter is trying to fit forgiveness into when he asks Jesus, Lord, when my brother wrongs me, how many times shall I forgive him? Peter is trying to nail down the limits of forgiveness. But Jesus' answer through the story he tells reveals this kind of forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that God our Father offers us has no limits. Has no limits other than the limits we apply ourselves. Hear that, church. Has no limits other than the limits we apply ourselves. The truth revealed through this parable is forgiveness is not just an act of the will. Make no mistake, forgiveness involves our will, but true forgiveness flows as a spontaneous and free act when we know ourselves to be forgiven. Not just believe, not just profess, we know we have been forgiven. Just as love flows freely and naturally when we know ourselves to be loved, when we know we have been forgiven, we forgive others. True forgiveness flows spontaneously and naturally out of us. Far from being a command, forgiveness of another person arises when my mind has been opened, when my heart has been changed 
by the recognition of the overwhelming initiative and generosity of the God who has forgiven me. I find myself so moved. I continue to be transformed by the reality of it. That I seek now, I hunger to choose a lifestyle that reflects God's initiative and generosity by offering forgiveness to others. I'm not forgiving so that I'm going to be forgiven. I'm forgiving because I have been forgiven and I can't help but share what I have been given with everyone. Clearly, this kind of conversion did not take place for the forgiven debtor in our story. Despite having an incalculable debt canceled and being set free, mind you, canceled and being set free, he couldn't find it in his heart to forgive someone who owed much, much less. And as a result, he forfeits his own basis for being free because he's not free, because he's not forgiven. He's not living in that forgiveness. The failure of the servant to forgive, don't miss this. The failure of the servant to forgive isn't a matter of failing to live up to a moral standard and therefore he gets punished. The failure of the servant to forgive, his lack of forgiveness, is cutting off the branch that's supporting his whole existence. What Jesus is teaching us through this petition is God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others are inseparably linked. God's kingdom people are both forgiven and forgiving. Not one or the other, forgiven and forgiving. To refuse to forgive another person is to shut the door of mercy in our Father's face even though his forgiveness still surrounds the house. Hear that again. To refuse to forgive another person is to shut the door of mercy in our Father's face, even though his forgiveness still surrounds the house. When the elder son refuses to forgive his younger prodigal brother, he doesn't just close the door of his heart to his brother, he closes it on his father. And I can't emphasize this again enough. He closes it. The father keeps trying to open it up. The picture in that story is a father who keeps pushing the door open and a son who holds on to the knob with his foot against the door and refuses to let it be opened. If we reach, limit the reach of forgiveness, if we limit the reach of forgiveness toward others, we apply those same limits to ourselves. It's not that God our Father isn't ready and willing to forgive us. We're not ready. We're not willing to be forgiven. Because it's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron to say we truly know God's mercy and yet remain hard-hearted toward others. To live this way is not healthy psychologically, let alone spiritually, if, if the point that Jesus is trying to teach us in this prayer and throughout the Gospels is that God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others is inseparably linked, then we have to work really hard against this symmetry, right? We have to work really hard against this symmetry of forgiveness to separate it. And working that hard, we create a host of unsolvable problems for ourselves. God doesn't create them, we create them. Giving mercy sets us free, but being merciless binds me in a prison of my own making. Refusing to let another person, refusing to offer another person pity leaves us not in a pitiful state, but in a pityless state, with nothing but our resentment and our bitterness to keep us company. 
The broken fellowship of unforgiveness not only impacts my relationship with my brother or my sister, it also hampers my ability to talk with and hear from our Father. I'm not suggesting that there's a connection here, though scripturally it's suggested there is. But we live in a time in our community and beyond where more and more people don't hear God, don't sense God's presence in my life, not really feeling any direction from God. Is it possible that the reason why we aren't hearing from God, is it possible the reason why we can't sense God's presence, is it possible that the reason why God feels so distant is because we're carrying unforgiveness in our heart? The answer biblically is yes. The answer biblically is yes. And so this morning, maybe there's a connection that you've never made before here. Why would that be? Wait a second. Why, why would it be that my issue with someone else, why would that have anything to do with my ability to talk to or hear from, listen to my father? Why? Why would that impact that relationship? I'll tell you why. Because in not forgiving others, I make myself the judge. In not forgiving others, I make myself the judge. And so instead of being a fellow sinner, I am claiming to be God. And I can't have much of a relationship, let alone a conversation, with someone whose job I'm presuming to take. My friends, this isn't just an individual crisis. This is a corporate one. We need to hear this. We talk about it a lot, but this begs being brought up again. We have an image problem as the church. And one of the biggest reasons for our image problem as the church is the growing dichotomy between our message and our practice. We can't, please hear me, we can't continue to profess that everyone, everyone is amazingly forgiven and unconditionally loved by Jesus and yet increasingly act shamefully unforgiving and woefully unloving when it comes to those who persecute us who belittle us, who wrong us, who disagree with us. It just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. We are separating that which is not meant to be separated. And I know we all have things we're ticked off about, individually and corporately. It's, it's tough when we're persecuted. It's tough when we're belittled. It's tough when we're wrong. It's tough when people are wrong. But Jesus, in teaching us to forgive, isn't teaching us to be victims. He's not telling us to just suck it up and take it. He's teaching us. In teaching us to forgive, he's calling us to be victors. Victors! To turn the world upside down, to represent the kingdom by resisting, by fighting back against the vicious cycle of retribution in this world. Jesus is inviting us to live out of the victory of the cross and the resurrection rather than to die to be destroyed by the vicious cycle of vengeance. We don't need any more education on how to get revenge. We don't need any more education on how to hold a grudge. We don't need any more examples of what it looks like. But we're lacking in examples of mercy and forgiveness. Not just in the world, but in the church. You can't preach a message like this and not know that God is speaking to someone today. And if God's not talking to anybody in this room, you can bet God is talking to me.
but I'm willing, I'm willing to stake my call that I'm not alone. You're here today, you're a member of grace, you're a visitor, you've come on a regular basis. You're here today, hear the word of the Lord. You're sitting here today and you're still holding on to that grudge. Oh man, that long-standing grudge. Man, you can remember it as fresh as the day it happened. You are still holding on to that grudge. If you're sitting here today and you're still nursing that deep pain, you know, that deep pain that you say you want to be released from, but at the same time, that's your new normal. You don't know how to live without that pain, and so you just keep nursing it. You're sitting here today and you're flirting with temptation to get a little payback. You'd never really do anything, but you've thought about it. you fantasized about it. You've mapped it out. You'll never actually act on it, you hope, but you're flirting with temptation to get a little payback. If that's you, if you're holding on to that grudge, if you're nursing that deep pain, if you're flirting with the temptation to get a little payback, beloved, let's get on our knees instead. Let's get on our knees instead. Let's go back and pray the beginning of this petition and realize we are each, we are all at the mercy of our God. See, our ability to forgive begins in our response to being forgiven. In this petition, Jesus is not having us promise that we will forgive. Really important to notice that. In this petition, we are not promising to forgive. In praying this petition, we are taking the first step towards forgiveness by admitting we can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. That which is impossible for us to accomplish in our own strength. Jesus is teaching us by praying this prayer, that which is impossible for us to accomplish in our own strength, God enables us to do by the power of his indwelling in our hearts. So consider this. When we talk about what is forgiveness, consider this. Forgiveness of others always begins not as an act of generosity toward the offender, No, forgiveness of others always begins not as an act of generosity towards the offender. Forgiveness of others always begins as an act of gratitude toward God our Father. The first step of forgiveness is remembering it is because we have been forgiven that we can forgive others. Because our Father has forgiven us of everything. And those aren't my words, those are his. Everything. Because our Father has forgiven us of everything, we can forgive everything anything done unto us. The first step of forgiveness, of forgiving others, is to let God's grace restrain us so as not to condemn. The first step of forgiving others is to let God's grace restrain us so as not to condemn. And my friends, we don't want to be judge and jury. You don't want to be judge and jury. You can't be. Judgment belongs to the Lord. The first step of forgiveness is allowing God's grace to restrain my belief that I can judge, that I can condemn. And it is a huge first step, but it's not enough. The second step of forgiveness is to allow our Father's love, the witness of Christ, the influence of the Holy Spirit to embolden us, to empower us to show mercy. To show mercy. Because when we let go of retaliation, we let go of that which is keeping us in bondage. When we take the initiative and bear the burden of clearing the slate, we are refusing to let sin have the last word in our relationships. 
God, in forgiving us, does so to refuse to let sin have the last word in his relationship with us. And when we forgive others, we are refusing to let sin have the last word in our relationships. And it is a liberating thing to forgive just as it is to be forgiven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This just might be the most important petition in this whole prayer. This just might be the most important petition. You know why? Because what's the gospel? What do we got if we don't have the good news of our Father's mercy and pardon in Jesus Christ? Beloved, if we truly believe in this good news, if we truly believe in this good news, if we're going to base our lives on it, then we've got to recapture the vision for why we're here, why we exist. We are ambassadors of God's mercy. We are the workers in the field of the great jubilee of the kingdom. Whether the offenses against us are great or small, yes, 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 forgiveness is hard. It takes time. We need help. But we have a father who's running toward us in Jesus to help us to help us not only to forgive ourselves, but to forgive each other. So as we pray this petition, not just today, but any time we pray this petition, let us remember we have been forgiven. And as those who have been forgiven, may we lay down our grudges, lay down our judgments, lay down our revenge, and by the gifts of word and sacrament, become victors. The real heroes this world needs. People who are willing, people who are able not to condemn but to extend mercy far and wide. If there is anything worth pursuing, it is the ability and the willingness to forgive. This is most certainly true because forgiveness is the heart of our faith. This is most certainly true because in the act of forgiving another is the greatest proof of our faith in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I feel the burden of my own sin, my own unforgiveness. And I know that I am not alone in, in feeling drawn to my knees this morning. Lord, as we continue to worship you, to hear your word to us, Words of forgiveness, words of love, words of acceptance, even when we're not acceptable. Lord, break our hearts. Change them. Make us ever true. You call to mind names, faces, relationships, experiences. Lord, later on as we come to this table, as we can come to this rail and we can kneel, I pray, Lord, you'd bring us to our knees. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to hold each other up as we seek that which is hard, but which we need. Your forgiveness. Your forgiveness that when we truly let it sink in, when we truly let it wash over us, cannot help become our pardon, our mercy towards others. Lord, forgive us our sins as we, by your grace, forgive those who have sinned against us.